We could play the looks like game. He's about to say this is the time on Sprockets when we dance. Pull the iPod Nano out of his pocket. 1,000 songs. Yeah, see, it makes my hair look even worse, you know. Welcome to another episode of the TCAP Salute Podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and joining me is the Viceroy of Vociferousness. It's the technologist, David okay. Noller, and from an undisclosed safe house, we're assuming east of the Baltics, it's Thomas Paluachi. <laughs> Before cutting into this week's meet of the show, we shall disclose this week's moment of Zen. Ethics and equity and the principles of justice do not change with the calendar. I was having a hard time finding a, a moment of Zen that really fit with with this topic, just because I think this is a little little more in the weeds than than some of the stuff that we do. Sure, um, a little more techie. But um, so the, our pod topic this week is um, internet safety and uh, and access, and the reason why we have Thomas on for this one. Everybody knows why we have uh, David on because <laughs> he has he has he has opinions. <laughs> the viceroy of vociferousness, as you said so eloquently. Thank you. Um, could you give us a, you've been on the pod before, Thomas, but maybe uh, give our listeners a refresh on on what you do and why you might be an expert in, in these areas. Expert might be far, but we'll, we'll, we'll take it. Uh, so I'm the uh, network and systems manager for TCAPS. And what I do is make sure, you know, the big one, the wireless works, uh, our network works, and you are safe on our network and uh, using any sort of uh, resources that TCAPS has to give out that's network-based. So um, our computers that you use at the desktop, those are connected. Uh, all the Chromebooks that we have that are almost one-to-one -one now, so almost 10,000 Chromebooks on our device or on our network every day, um, going out and reaching out to the internet using untold amounts of bandwidth um, our cameras are on the same network, our paging system, anything pretty much that plugs in, lights up, or buzzes, as Chris Wise likes to say, we take care of. So um, we try to take care of that every day, and it is a task for our little, little technology department. So uh, we may have some internet access that we like to take care of. So yeah, we know a little bit about that. We use filters, firewalls, and all sorts of other goodies to make sure that we're happy and uh, not being taken over by other people. So uh, and I'm going to jump into that because you had mentioned earlier that you're, what you do is kind of manage the network, the, the, the TCAPS network. And what had happened uh, last spring was suddenly you were maybe tasked with uh, managing other networks <laughs> outside of TCAPS to some extent. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so what did, with that, what did we when we were doing that? What did we find? Because I, I think to some extent, once you reach out of the bubble, there it's hard to go back in the bubble. The, the, the toothpaste has left the tube to some extent. <laughs> You've nailed it on that, absolutely. <laughs> so I feel like when you reach out and give a hand, they're always going to call out, which there's no problem to that, but there's always uh, it's tough trying to troubleshoot someone else's network. Because there's always a different variable every time you get it. So say I call Dave up and I'm like, hey, Dave, why isn't your Chromebook working? And he's like, well, you know, just won't connect to the wireless. I mean, there could be a ton of things. Uh, we had one, someone saying that they couldn't connect to their Internet anymore and they were using their neighbor's wireless and uh, they changed the password on them. So 
stuff like that. You are reaching out and trying to help them diagnose something that you truly don't know anything about. You know, well, it's the internet. It's a, it's technology. You should know how to fix it. Well, yeah, I wish we could, but uh, it's tough. But yes, when we want virtual, um, we had to hand out about 2,000 to 3,000 devices and tons of those people could not connect to the internet. They weren't, uh, they don't have, some people didn't have internet or had very slow internet, even dial up. I know still crazy to say this day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was, it was decently eye-opening to us. We knew we had a considerable amount of uh, students that didn't have fast enough internet or no internet access or using a cell phone just to do homework. So it was very interesting to see that uh, we had a bigger demographic than we thought. So that's, that is now on our list to try to take care of. Uh, at, at the classroom level, trying to uh, do some instruction, what did mm -hmm. you find in your classroom as far as access and how did you, how are you overcoming some of some of that lack of access maybe that you found? You know, last spring um, with the students that I had with me, um, we didn't have the difficulty of access. I'm teaching at the secondary level. They had all gotten used to the Chromebook situation. They'd, you know, for them, it was, I'm just going to be using my Chromebook at home. And they'd been doing that for homework and other things, you know, in some cases for years. So I did not get confronted by that aspect of like the security and access part. I got confronted with other issues about whether or not they wanted to be present. So they would log in and then just mute their screen. Uh, <laughs> and that's, you know, uh, I, my philosophy has always been, you know, I would have to knock on that, on that person's door and be welcomed into their home. I, I don't really feel like I am owed a spot in their house via their webcam. So I understand that. So I, di I didn't really have to confront access so much as obviously privacy became a bigger deal for me. It sounds like you may have been fortunate in, in that way that you didn't have to run into those those issues. Thomas, what were, the, what were some of the numbers that you're running into? I mean, what were the percentages, would you say, of individuals that were struggling for access? Oh, probably about 10 to 15, probably even a higher, maybe I'd say 25% of our student population has that, that need or, or want for that. And it's difficult because you couldn't do anything at the moment. It was tough because you had to run into their, into their house and you weren't going to do that because there was COVID. Uh, Charter didn't want to go into anyone's houses because COVID. And any other ISP, not bad-mouthing charter, but any other ISP, there was this giant demand. Everybody was working from home. So not only school students, you had professional people trying to work from home. And someone out in Kingsley who always went into the office, may who you know, barely had internet at home, now has to work at home and have their kids on the internet. It didn't work very well. What was the general expectation of numbers going in? That was, that, I wasn't sure. I mean, most of the students who had problems would come in and get their internet from us. So that was a big jump for them. I'd say maybe a thousand to 1500, which is, you know, 10% of our population, but we didn't hear very much about it because they came into school. So <clears throat> yeah, 10% sounds like maybe, oh yeah, well, 10%, that's 90% of people that have access, right? 10%, eh, well, you know, we're figuring it out when mm. suddenly that is our mode of uh, education and Absolutely. communication with our students. 
10%, that's a bit of an equity issue. Yeah, that's, that's suddenly they, they, they cannot be educated. So what were some of the things that we were doing to overcome that hurdle? So the biggest thing was getting hotspots out to the students. I mean, that was the biggest stopgap we could get in the time being. Uh, we tried to work with local ISPs, uh, try to see if we could get them in there. We could prioritize the students. Um, so that we got a couple here or there, but the hotspots were the best stopgap at the moment. We got about 100 from Sprint and then about 100 more from AT&T. And it, in northern Michigan, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes where you live. It's not as bad as Leonel County, but we do have students out there who may be out in the middle of nowhere and there's like one bar of signal. <laughs> so we may even have the device to help them get the internet, but there's no signal out there. That was another trouble. So that brings me to the, the are you moisture farming in your <laughs> office right there? Because yeah. I assume you, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure, but I know that's a, that might be a pretty cool option for, for our, our district. Yeah, so I call it Project Hermes, you know, the little messenger of the gods. <laughs> Why not? Right? So um, we Dave, have Dave's ears up. just perked up. He's like, "Ooh, mythology!" Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, we have towers around our district. You may have seen them. There's even one here at the Mythical Data Center, um, and those are used for our point-to-point -point cellular to backhaul back to our data center. So each building can have network if there isn't fiber run to the building. So the farther out out ones, Westwood, Silver Lake. Uh, interlock and stuff like that. So we have these towers and we have space on them. So I said, well, how can we utilize that? Maybe kind of shoot internet to our students. So behind me, we have three radio slash antennas there. So these will go theoretically 62 miles in every direction. That's if we lived in a beautiful flat plain world with no trees in the way. <laughs> here. Iowa, it is not here. Not here. Well, in beautiful northern Michigan, we have um, nice bumps and hills and and beautiful big trees in the way. So hopefully what I'm getting is about a, a five-mile diameter around diameter. Yeah, math, stuff like that. Uh, a 360 around the tower, essentially. So each one of these radios does a 120-degree span. So just sends out. And it does that circle. So anything in that area should be able to be captured. So I'll use this little guy. It's actually a different radio. And you put, it's a smaller radio. And you put this on their house. That's the next challenge. And you put this on their house. And then there's another device, which it acts like the router. And we control everything from here all the way down. And it's a wireless connection. We have a couple in place right now for test. And we have one at Bill, our sys administrator's house, and we've been testing that one. And we're getting about 350 meg over 350 meg. So a very, very fast connection wirelessly. That is very cheap. So one of these radio slash antenna combinations is about $600. So you put three on the tower, and then there's a router down here to do all the things you need to do. So it's about $2,000 per uh, radio tower. So it's not very expensive. So that's nice. And we can bond that stuff because it's all hardware. And essentially, we'll become an ISP to those students and we'll pass internet to them. So I'm pretty excited about that. That would be, that would probably take care of 
85% of the 10 to 15% students that do not have network access, some are going to be more challenging. They may be behind giant trees that I can't get it through, stuff like that, but it should close it even more down and we'll work with the local ISPs to see if we can bring internet to those other people. So I know we they've talked about, it's called the homework gap where students, now we, we've given them the Chromebook. They have the device. Now they have to go home and they do not have the internet. So that we're trying to close that homework gap and make it equal across everything. Thomas, does that, uh, that device you showed that goes on the house? Yes. Is that something that the district provides to the family? Yes. Yeah. So it's nice. kind of going off of like the free and reduced uh, people. So uh -huh. we can take that and just kind of clump them into that. They're not very expensive. So this isn't the exact device that's going to go on there. But the right. device that goes on to the building or their house is about $75. So it's not expensive. And then when you buy bulk, it'll probably be about 50 with our discount. Right. So $50 and then about another $50. So $100 of hardware per house, it's not too bad. I mean, if you think about it, a Chromebook's 300 and some dollars. So a third sure. of the price to get them internet to, our, to their house is pretty neat. These kind of solutions that we have that... I know that our, our technology department is always working for. I think the reasons why, you know, we have such a strong value in the community and why we are valued by the community, because we discovered a gap last spring. Thomas and the rest of the people in the tech department have responded to that and come up with this thing that, like you say, looks like we're going moisture farming. And there's two sons that are going to be setting tonight. That's right. Well, that's <laughs> what uh, but that that responsibility to respond to an in a gap in equity is is super important and as somebody who's in the classroom knowing that the infrastructure has that same kind of attention to where where we are about customer service in the classroom or about customer service in the technology department and across the the whole district that we are here to serve our people uh, that's so exciting to see and it just it makes me very, very happy in it, not even just a nerdy way to see the cool technology. It makes me happy to know that these kids are being cared for. I, I think it is a, a goal of ours to have pretty close to almost all of them connected to us in some sort of way so we can take care of that. I, it's, it's interesting to think that a school district should have to supply Internet to someone's home like that. But I think it's necessary, especially the way we're going. And the size of our district, the, what what we need to do for that. So if we provide, if we are the ISP, ISP, ISP yeah, internet service, uh, to, yeah, yeah, to to the students um, that otherwise wouldn't have high speed internet, we're not just providing internet. We're also providing internet safety because our network and our and our safety protocols that um, correspond to our network are included. So it's yeah. not just you get network, you get the TCAPS network. So if you want to talk a little bit about some of the safety protocols that we put in place to keep our students safe, that'd be great times. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll step back real quick. And, and the neat part about connecting to uh, Project Termies here is it is an extension of the TCAPS network, which gives you the firewall behind us, the filter that you'll have through us. And um, it keeps you on our network. You're not truly out in the wild. You're not right off the internet. You have to hit our network first and then we'll get you out to the internet when you need to be. So all those resources, you're already on site, essentially. So you don't have to do that. So yeah, on site, we have scanners to make sure that someone's not coming to try to scan us. 
We have firewall. Um, we have a filter, my favorite. It's, it's giving me some troubles, but it does what it needs to do. It's um, my favorite too, Thomas. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> it works too good sometimes. It's a so it, it's, it's, it's neat because it's always learning. It uses a little bit of AI, you know. I mean, the internet is huge. So it always has to constantly learn what's good, what's bad. So every day there's millions of sites being made. There's no way I can personally keep up with that. So it's awesome that something goes out and checks to see what's good, what's bad, classifies it, and then sends it out to anyone else that needs it. So there's stuff like that. Um, there's access policies. Where can you go? What can you get to? Uh, you may be on the student network, but you can't get to the teacher network or vice versa. There's stuff that you keep in place that you don't even think about when you hop on a wireless network or plug into anything. It's just crazy. <laughs> One of the nice things for our devices is if they are accessing via the moisture um, farm, <laughs> how much safer does that keep our devices that we're giving these our students? Because if they're jumping on their home, their traditional home network, mm -hmm. which is gonna, clearly going to be much less safe, absolutely, that's going to um, then put our devices at risk. As opposed to if they go through our network, that device stays safe. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the Chromebooks are nice because they don't get as many viruses, not as much as the uh, beautiful uh, Windows machines used to. But they're still susceptible to stuff. You can still get a phishing attack. You can still uh, click on a wrong link. Uh, we had a couple of those. You can still mess something up. And because we control from point A to point B to point C, it's not going back out to the internet. So our filter works, you know, if you're on the network, it straight goes through the filter, all traffic goes through it. When you're outside of our network, it only reaches out asking permission to get to that website. Can I go to Google? Sure. It's not actively looking at every link to see if it's okay. It's kind of uh, filtering, but not totally filtering. It, it's so it doesn't have to slow down if you're on a slow link sending all the traffic through. So way better that it's on site. We can see it visibly on our site and we have control over where it goes in our network and what it can get to again. So yes, that layer of being on TCAP's network really helps out for those devices. And that's less troubleshooting. That's less time that something's broken. That's more time for beautiful learning. So this is a question I wanted to ask both of you guys. Cause I know Dave, you talked to your students about some of these, um, some of these things when you give out the Chromebooks or um, to manage to manage your classroom appropriately. But one of the things I want to talk about is how do we keep them safe online? Safe and constructive. <laughs> sure. Online. Constructive. <laughs> constructive. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe starting with constructive, um, what are some of the tips that you give your students to help them stay constructive with these devices? The, the number one thing with, any task you give a student, and I'm coming at this from the teacher perspective, anytime you give a student something to do, if it's meaningful and engages in something that they're interested in, you have a higher likelihood that they're going to engage in that learning object, whatever it happens to be, whether it's on a piece of paper or whether it's on the internet. So that's that's the starting point for everything. Um, if If you're replacing a worksheet with four plus three, four plus four, four plus nine, 
and you're just taking that worksheet and putting it online, it's going to be as engaging as it was as a piece of paper. So for whatever that's worth, that's what it is. You're um, not really leveraging the, the tool. Right. That's right. So the thing about like leveraging the tool with, with engaging kids in the learning has to do with the kind of tasks we're asking them to do. Um, whether it's using a website or, or in creating a video using the Chromebook or whatever it happens to be, it, their, their likelihood of engagement is going to be 100% related to whether or not they, th they find it meaningful for them or something that they feel is necessary or important to learn. Uh, I, and I think personally, it all starts there. Uh, I kind of cheat maybe. I think it's kind of easy for me. I teach literature. You know, it's, it's <laughs> super easy for me to make connections between um, short stories, poems, and contemporary news events. Like I can tie all that stuff together and, and get kids to see how Shakespeare's Macbeth has an awful lot to do with the presidential election. We did that four years ago, and we examined different personality types. The kids ended up creating their own theories, and, you know, awesome. Um, make You know, I always tell kids, if, if there's ever a piece of literature that's not relevant anymore, we're not going to read it. <laughs> What's the point? So, and that happens whether you're face-to-face, -face, hybrid, or you know, fully online using Brightspace D2L, learn at your own pace. So, I lost track of the question. Well, well I, I, you, you answered the question, and I think in, in the completely appropriate way, I think the first line of defense as far as keeping your kids safe is keeping them engaged in something that is safe. That's 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 the first thing. And I think that's what you were, you were alluding to. Now, 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 well, yeah, you so, started with productive, not safe. Yeah, well, but still, I think that keeps them safe because they're being productive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I don't care who you are. If you're engaging in the internet, you're going to wander. Uh, I mean, you the I, I don't care how mindful you are. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to wander. So, my students wandering, <laughs> especially if they're if they're at home, they're much more likely because they're not in the classroom. I think just naturally, if you're in the classroom, you're going to be more attentive to the teacher just because of the safe the the space. So, your at home learning. You're, you maybe that engagement isn't quite as 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 present as you'd like it to be, and there's some wandering going on. Thomas, what are some what are some tips maybe to give some of our students and parents as far as okay, if you're gonna go, don't go there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one's a toughie, and and I know a lot of the parents don't have the time to sit there and keep cracking the whip behind them, but I guess it would be more towards the younger children. But yeah, um, I mean. <laughs> that one's tough. <laughs> Try to figure it out. There's a there's a tough approach with that from the technological side. Yeah. But we do have some tools like D2L, for example, this Brightspace thing, where we can put up for the students a kind of check checklist of these are the tasks that need to be accomplished for this particular lesson. And when we go back to, if we ever have to go back to fully online teaching, it's not going to be a kid on their own. It's going to be a kid with a teacher and the kid will be working at some point on their own. Yes. But that teacher will always be present um, either later that day or the next morning. And we can use tools within D2L Brightspace to encourage progress. The internet I view as a kind of, it's a consumer ruled space. 
whatever that consumer wants to do when they get there is what they're going to do. Um, but I'll tell you one thing, a kid who's going to get distracted by um, a YouTube video or whatever is probably also the, the kid who's going to get distracted by drawing pictures of clowns in his notes instead of actually taking them during class. <clears throat> that is close to home, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you describing so, me as a student? <laughs> but so, there are some things that we can do, and there's some programs that we can try. Um, um, Google actually has a, a program called um, Be Internet Awesome, and they have a, a system of games called Interland, and they're, they're geared towards second through sixth graders. And the goal, <coughs> excuse me, the goal of the program is to develop students' habits so that they end up smart, alert, strong, kind, and brave, right? Being brave enough to stand up and say no to bullies, being smart enough to do what they're supposed to when they're supposed to, being kind enough not to be a bully online, all these things, right? We haven't engaged that in our district, but we could. But it's, it's in that space where we ask the question, well, who's going to give up curriculum time to teach about learning responsibly on the net? And that's a tough question to ask when you've got teachers who, for no fault of their own, want to protect their lane and want to, I have this much I have to get through because I'm being evaluated on my test scores at the end of the year. This doesn't help me with those at all. So maybe somebody else can work on that. This used to always fall to English teachers, right? These <laughs> kinds of things always used to end up in the lap of English teachers. Um, and I can tell you that because I've been one for 25 years. There are those like student practice tools that are out there, but we just have to have the will to engage in them. I think it's not dissimilar to teaching a student how to hold a pencil mm -hmm. at an early age. I mean, it's it's that fundamental to the sure. future, their future success in their educational journey. If you don't know how to use the tool appropriately, you're going to end up hurting yourself with the tool. Yeah. Don't hand a kid a hammer and not tell them what to do with the hammer because it's going to end up being a. It could be fun. Yeah. <laughs> it could be, it'll end up on YouTube. Yeah. There you go. So you know, Thomas, you did you you sent a nice little uh, document um, yeah. with some with some internet safety and access tips. Mm -hmm. If you wanted if you wanted to hit on some of those sure. because I think I think you had some good stuff there. Yeah. So things to look at, all browsers have it now. You, you look in the top left when you go to a website and it has the green lock or it has it with a little slash through it. And you can click on it and it'll tell you what's going on. So the big three things in there are, is it safe? Does it have a certificate? Um, is it verified? You know, is it using encryption and stuff like that? So if you click on that, it'll tell you if it has a truly uh, correct certificate. It'll tell you if it's valid. It'll tell you if it's made up by themselves. So you can make a self-assigned cert that you say you sign and you're the real person. Well, that's truly not backed up by anybody else. So a third party like uh, GoDaddy or um, Network Solutions or something like that, um, somebody verifies that you truly are them. So uh, that's one thing to look at. So if it's not safe, it's not saying it's a bad site. If it doesn't have a certificate, it's just not verifying that it truly is that person. Um, so another thing to look at is in your email, because everybody loves email. Just uh, look in there. If it doesn't look right, 
maybe look at it if it's got some weird links in there and it's really long we don't like those those the shorteners we don't like now i know a lot of teachers get mad at me because we block the uh the shorteners mm-hmm. they're really cool because they're about this long but it's really cool for hackers and anybody else because they can slam this giant url and it says like itty bitty uh go see how trainwork.com <laughs> it's not it so that's pretty uh pretty unique to look at that and say oh that's probably not good if you hover over it usually gives you how long it actually is that doesn't look good if it has spelling errors that's usually a sign because you can't even right click and fix it <laughs> they didn't even take the time to try and check their spelling um and if it's like a vague email like hey becky could you uh send me an itunes gift card because it's my birthday coming up Should probably not do that <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, things like that. Uh, another one is if you're looking at the you are the domain. So the domain is like tcaps.net. So your domain. If it's info.tcaps.net or it's spelled wrong, tcaps with two S's, it looks like tcaps, but it's not tcaps. It's the wrong domain. And it may look like it's coming from what you think, but it is not. So that's a big one we see a lot is it's really close to the spelling of the domain, but it's not. You glance at it. Oh, it looks right, and you just keep on going. So that's how they usually do some good phishing. So phishing is, you know, you send some information, and if you fall for it, they got you on the hook. So And then they steal all the stuff they can. Um, another good one is when you're surfing on the Internet at home. Um, I know people are not as nerdy as I don't like to look into the router and see what it can do. Change the password on it. Please, 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 please. <laughs> They have default passwords. You can Google like links as default password. And like 99% of people still have them sitting in there. That is wide open to the internet most of the time. That means anyone can pop in there and just do what they need to do. Uh, Same with smart devices. So any of those IoT devices, your Alexa, smart lamps, smart plugs. I have them on a separate network because also who doesn't do that at their house? You know, got tons of VLANs. And the traffic is... We're we're not even going to go into what a VLAN is. (laughs) And the traffic just straight goes out to the internet. It doesn't talk to the internal network. So you may have your computers and your laptops, the devices you use every day, and they do not talk to each other. They're completely separated. Most modern routers can do that. So you can jump in there and separate those. They'll say guest. So you can just slam it on the guest network, just like we have here. And all it does is go straight out to the internet and never talks to your devices inside. Um, another one is those routers do have advanced security features on them. So they'll look for bad websites. They'll look for someone trying to try to tap into your network. It'll see if someone's scanning against it, stuff like that. So most of the routers have that power nowadays. It's not like the wild, wild west where you just hook to the internet and dial away and go out there. There's something in between that has power now. So that's pretty exciting. The amount, of, the amount of time that we're online and the amount of data that we have, the amount, the amount of ourselves, of our home we have um, online, we should probably put a roof over it and we should probably manage the roof relatively or be looking at the roof relatively closely. Those routers and the security s- setup that we have for th- those routers is our digital roof. Yeah. And there's that, that, that keeps our house safe. Yeah. Yep. There's, there's a really neat product. I'm not trying to sell a product here. It's called Firewalla. And it's uh, from people who used to work at Cisco, which is most of the stuff we have here, big boy network stuff. And they have a little device that just kind of plugs into the network or it can be your firewall. And it 
it sees where the traffic is going and it says, Ooh, I don't like that. And it'll move it. It'll see what kind of device it is. Is it an Alexa? Is it a smart plug? And it'll push it to its own network and you can make device, um, like rules. And it's super simple in there. It's a little more advanced, I guess, but it's, it's neat to see that that's coming out for consumer and it's not just enterprise anymore. Awesome. So I, I don't, I did not, uh, uh, prompt you on this, uh, David, but sometimes you do pull one out. So do you have a tech tool of the week? Well, I'll tell you this much. On November 3rd, I will be doing a demonstration uh, comparing the different um, rubrics and evaluation tools that are in Google Classroom and D2L Brightspace. And so that information will be coming available very soon. So if people want to see those things in action and uh, see the kind of pros and cons and differences, um, um, there are there are benefits to both uh, formats. And that's something that's going to be coming out very, very soon. Anything, Thomas, besides the moisture farm? Uh, I'm just thinking of uh, ways parents can look to see how they can help. Um, Open DNS is a good one. Uh, routers do have that built in, a good amount of them. You can kind of set like a filtering policy on your home network, and you can make a wireless network for just your students, and you can filter them that way. So, Real quick, and don't have a lot of uh, tutorials and updates, just I, I keep plugging it, the TCAPS Tech Help Site. Uh, for staff support and student support, definitely check that out, tcaps247.com. Again, for student and parent support, it's out there. I think it's almost a little confusing because that's a .com instead of a .net. As you were saying, if you go to tcaps.com, that's not TCAPS Network, so yep, watch for that. Yep. But TCAPS247 is .com, so a lot of uh, support, uh, stuff there. You can also find Storytime uh, oh. at the Opera House, live at the Opera House It's Storytime on TCAPS 24-7. We just had our band, East Middle School band director doing double duty on the last episode. Uh, Peter Deneen did a great job. He made a little harmonica and yeah. actually played uh, When the Saints <laughs> Were Marching In on the homemade harmonica. It was fabulous. Uh, and next week, we're going to have a Halloween special and a magic show. Ooh. So stay tuned in for that. Are you doing the magic -y bits? Not at all. I, I cannot do magic, nor can I figure out how it's done. But we have, we did have, it, it turns out our host, the Storytime host, is a professional magician. Blows my mind. Every and, and a very, very good one. So he actually tells you how to do some of the tricks. Oh, yeah. So yeah. He's going to lose his license. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with that being said, in closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPSLOOP. At Technologist. I don't have one. Is that he <laughs> You'd have to go east of the Baltics to get Thomas's. Um, <laughs> subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play, Google Play Store. I'm going to edit that out. Spotify or wherever else you get your ear candy. Hey, like the podcast, leave a review on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to it because it really helps get the podcast out there, um, gets those ag aggregators and algorithms to, to see us. And hey, we also love hearing from you. So um, thanks for listening and inspiring oh it'll it'll fry your brain i'm probably probably losing <laughs> minutes off my life <laughs> still recording still yeah. recording <laughs>